I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. What up, everybody? This is uh, Davey D, uh, the D today to the V-E-Y-D. And when I'm not looking at old Donald Trump speeches or, you know, painting Barack Obama, Shepard Fairley posters, I'm checking out Rebel Radio with my man, Josh Levine. Stay put. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up? What up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh? Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. This week is part two of our two-part interview with Jeff Chang and Davey D, the authors of Can't Stop, Won't Stop. This is my favorite book uh, that I've read about hip-hop in a long time, maybe ever. It's great. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to go out and pick up a copy. Uh, we were here last week talking about Jeff and Dave, their uh, journey as DJs as uh, hip-hop fans as college professors political activists they've they've had an amazing career and we we kind of dug into some of the particulars of that this week we're um, we're really talking about the present and the future of hip-hop especially its impact on culture and politics and how all those things are intertwined and uh, their vision for where they see this all going it's, it's a great interview I hope you'll dig into it with us let's go No, look, I think hip hop has taught the world about entrepreneurship, um, you know, about self-determination, um, about uh, uh, unity, you know, r racial unity uh, in, in ways that we never had seen before, certainly. Um what do, you, what do you guys think the lessons are from hip-hop that we're not paying attention to? 
Well, one of the things I think that we try to talk about in, in, you know, in all the ways that all the, all the ways that we're able to talk about the book is to kind of lift up and emphasize the power of, of creativity, of the power of the creativity of young people mm. in the face of, of violence, of state violence, of uh, racism, of white supremacy, of segregation, um, um, and, and the ability of, of young people, uh, particularly young black people, to over and over again be able to, um, and Dave and I love to, to cite this because it's one of these beautiful phrases that brings together um, uh, the sort of uh, the sort of legacy of black thought as well as the legacy of Asian thought, right? Which is this notion of making a way out of no way, right? Mm -hmm. um, Bruce Lee uses this. It's an old idea from, you know, like Zen texts and stuff like that. And it's something that you also see in, in African-American um, religions and spiritual traditions and histories. Um, this, this idea of making a way out of no way, but this is something that comes up again and again in black freedom culture and hip hop being the latest manifestation of that. So that, you know, over and again, when faced with violence and again, like violence imposed by the state, violence uh, on each other, uh, mm -hmm. folks are having on each other, people figure out a way to quell that. And then there's this creative explosion that comes from that. We see it like in 1971 with the Gang Peace Treaty in New York. Um, we see it in 1992 with the peace treaty uh, mm -hmm. between gangs in Los Angeles that spreads across the country. That's we right. see it again in Los Angeles, right? Just being back uh, to Los Angeles because you have to keep on coming back to Los Angeles in these stories. You know, after after the the murder of Nipsey, um, yeah. and and that lifts hip hop literally to these new levels. Um, it's it's this sort of spirit of black freedom culture rising like a phoenix from the ashes literally all the time mm -hmm. and that's the greatest story ever told and for us to be able to to kind of tell that story in the myriad like just so many best different beautiful ways through so many different types of uh people's stories from latifah to cardi b right from from uh the ghetto brothers um and DJ Cool Herc all the way on up now to to Kendrick Lamar, right? And uh, and and whatever Killer Mike, right? Like it's it's a way for us to to um, to and it's the thing that I think everybody comes back to people who are not black over and over again, whether or not they necessarily have a finger to put on it, mm -hmm. right? So uh, it's the thing that we in the book are trying to kind of lift up to forefront it to be able to say here this is what you're actually this is what you've really been attracted to and it offers a whole different way of being able to understand the world your relationship to the world your relationship to other people and the power that you have to be able to change your world uh, along working alongside other people hmm. oh, i want to add something else because jeff talked about the black freedom struggle and i think it's important to note um some of the things that he cited, you know, that it's, it's rooted in solving issues that are confronting the community, you know, why do you have gang violence, you know, what's going on, and then people 
stepping up and quelling that. But there's also some very much more direct, you know, um, things that are going on in hip hop where you can see that cultural aesthetic mm -hmm. and its connection to, you know, past movements coming alive in a very direct way, not, not a happenstance way, but like people mm -hmm. actually involved. So you have to look at what's going on at the Good Life Cafe in Los Angeles with Project Bloat and mm -hmm. that whole area, right? That's a very, very important era. And, you know, and you can trace its roots going back to the Watch Writers Workshop. You can look at the Watch Profits and you can see that there is a lineage to, you know, that era of cultural explosion that was going on in LA. You got to look at the Latin Quarter. You know, that was a story that was really, um, you know, written out of history, you know, mm -hmm. big shout out to Paradise Gray of X-Clan because he did a book on it and, you know, and they're doing a documentary and the whole nine. But, mm. you know, when at the height of violence in New York, um, which would be akin to the type of problems that you had in 71, you know, um, with the Ghetto Brothers and all of them forging a path, you had three things that were going on. Apartheid in South Africa, you had violence that was going on with people fighting over crumbs, in this case, gold chains, and you had a crack epidemic that was, you know, that was ravaging. And you had folks that were sitting there and saying, let us come together and let us figure out a way to maybe do a stop the violence movement. Let us start a heel. Let us start, you know, um, wearing African medallions. Let's, let's actually look at that whole concept, you know, of Afrocentricity. And that gives birth to what we now know as the golden age. Let us mm -hmm. all sit in, let us, let us all kind of make a commitment to put figures in our records so that when you see, you know, our videos, whether it's KRS or whether it's Queen Latifah and others, you're looking and you go, oh, there's Malcolm X, there's Martin Luther King, there's whatever figure they were putting in their videos. That's a real important explosion because out of that, not only do you have X-Clan, KRS, and Public Enemy being the pinnacle, but it gives direct birth to the Jungle Brothers and Tribe Called Quest and, mm -hmm. you know, the whole Native Tongue movement come out of that, 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 that ethos, you know. And again, um, in those meetings that they were having, you have Sonny Carson, you have a whole Black Watch movement. So you have these elders that are coming from those past freedom struggles that are able to impart, you know, wisdom on folks. Here in the Bay, you, you know, you had the upper room, you know, with Rafiq Bilal and all these people, you know, the very beginnings of hip hop theater and, you know, or at least a, a major building block with, you know, Will Power and, and you know, Rafiq, I mean, uh, um, Mohammed Bilal and his sister Aisha. And so, you know, it's not just music, but it's also a politic that goes on. Um, we can't, you know, I'm going to uplift the name, um, the late uh, Kilu and, and, Sha and, and yeah. Sasha, yeah. you know, in, in the, and Kilu and yeah. Sasha, you know, former Black Panther, right? Yeah. Who was lacing everybody from Michael Franny on down to Dell and others talking right. about political prisoners, planting that seed. And those were those elders that recognized um, a certain type of brilliance and then said, let me nurture this and let me help fan those flames of creativity and give some political seeds that people can build up on as opposed to other adults that were looking at this and saying, this is an embarrassment and let's shut it down. But it's in those 
circles. And in those moments, you see a major, major influence in terms of, you know, of, of what people, I think, ultimately start to emulate. You know, mm-hmm. this is something that in many ways is not the industry, but this is the continuation of the organicness that you found in hip hop. Like, oh, let me pick this up and go in this direction. So you think about that golden era of hip hop, look at how long that footprint is, right? You look at all the freestyling and, and the changing of the guard that comes out of, you know, the good life and all sure. that, or what was going on simultaneously in New York and Washington Square Park, yeah. right? those become important moments as well. And then you can go to Detroit and look at the hip hop shop and you see similar type of things. You go to Philly and these other places. And so um, hip hop is so vibrant and you can Mm -hmm. go down so many different paths. So Mm -hmm. I'm just, I guess what I'm saying is an industry part to it. That's very important because it gives people an opportunity to make some money. Sure. And maybe one day become a Kanye and be a billionaire. But there's also these other paths where people were really able to continue a type of creative creativity that I think has come to define music all around the world, whether it was bebop back in the 40s and the 50s, and then a style of hip hop that I think everybody else soaked up. And then you see it you know, uh, resonate all around the world. And I'll just close with Atlanta too. Because mm-hmm. as all this is going on, you got to talk about the Funk Jazz Cafe, which is, and, and also in Brooklyn, where you have that Neo Soul element and, you know, and so much, you know, that we can just kind of unearth. I don't want to get too long with it, but there, but what Jeff was talking about, those bouts of creativity, they're above ground and they're underground, meaning that there's that creativity on the mainstream side but there's a whole lot of stuff that's also on the underside that's bubbling over that we got to look at. Right. No, I love that. And, and I've, I've always felt like um, hip hop has a, a kind of a naming problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in particular, and, and, you know, I want to talk to you guys about it because you both work with students, mm-hmm. right. That, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys our age who grew up, you know, came up in that, in that golden era and you know for them hip hop died or or you know declined uh you know around 97 and um you know there's this ongoing debate and i think there always has been about what's real hip hop and what's not and uh you know for me like personally i i have n- no time for that and i've always loved you know i've i've I ride or die for MC Hammer the same way I do for Tribe Called Quest, the same way I do for, you know, so right. many artists, right? To me, it's it's all love. Um, but, uh, you know, I think certainly with young people today, maybe some of your students whose, you know, attachment to hip hop, you know, starts with Kanye and ends with Travis Scott or something like that. Um, what... What are you seeing when you, when you talk to these to these kids coming up today? Um, what are you seeing in their attachment and how they how they perceive and connect to hip hop culture that's that's surprising or or you know maybe different than you might have expected? Hmm. One thing they don't really listen to the radio at mm. all. Sure. Every year we do, we have about maybe 200 students, Yeah, maybe three when we do the other sessions. 
and we do little polls and surveys to figure out where they get their news from. Mm -hmm. I can tell you YouTube is yep. number one. Yeah. And then everything else is a diff distant second and third, you know, might be Spotify, no might be Apple music. It might be SoundCloud. Um, what they cite as their favorite groups, you know, you might see a Post Malone, you might see a Travis, you know, might see a Denzel Curry or something like that. But mm -hmm. for the most part, um, they're enamored with things that are not necessarily on the mainstream. Sure, they may anchor themselves around Drake, like Drake is a consistent, sure, you know, like that's a major pillar. The way Rakim's a pillar for our generation, Drake is a pillar, you yeah, know, no doubt. And Definitely. people who grew up hating him, they're like, no, I can't stand Drake. Well, well, do a party for these people. Don't play him. <laughs> Drake Drake is that guy, you know. Well, Drake, but, uh, last year he passed Madonna for having the most number one all hit, number one records of all time. Drake is a beast, man, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, he, he's an anchor in terms of how people may reference and be like, is Drake and then you go either above ground with some of the more commercial leanings, sure. you know, that we may know, you know, into your Migosis and what mm -hmm. have you. And then there's like, I think a lot of regionalism where every city got all these superstars right. that are underground that people really um, get into. And I think that's a good thing. That's how hip hop should be. It should be something that's off our radar that we have to go and be like, mm -hmm. what are y'all listening to? Mm -hmm. I do with no shame. What are y'all listening to? Cause I'm not hanging out in your circles to know. And, you know, and they have these little spots, you know, they, they, you're thinking like they're listening to drink champs and all the popular blogs. And then you realize like, nah, man, I right. I'm over here with something that is supposed to be not within my line of sight. And um, so you got to kind of go dig to figure out where folks are from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good. But you know that's hip hop. That's always been hip hop. Like you know, the the, the style turns over, mm -hmm. like a couple few years, three to five years is the longest cycle that you'll get, right? Where, yeah, it, like the whole everything everything changes, clothing, slang, um, <coughs> excuse me, style, the whole nine, and uh, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of it too. It's the vitality. But it, it's interesting because it makes it doubly hard for us who think of hip-hop as a place too where you kind of almost bank you know this historical and cultural knowledge right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um to to uh be able to raise that you know like i you know all the all the kids who grew up in on on the other side of town right in in north berkeley could sing you every fleetwood mac song that's in their grandparents collection right right <laughs> sure they could they could sing you Paul Simon and Garfunkel songs from from the '60s and that kind of thing, and they'll get up and do it with a guitar every year mm -hmm. at their high school talent shows. But you know you can't you you don't do that in in hip hop and and the double the double whammy there is that there's an erasure of of important cultural knowledge that's happening like intentionally in society, mm. and that happens along with this sort of unintentional like cycle of style that keeps on churning within hip-hop so for 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 me and dave to appear in front of a, a classroom and be like let's tell you about hip-hop first you got to win them over sure, <laughs> you sure. know what i mean yeah, of first you got to establish your authority yeah. um you know it's not just about the fact that you 
where you've been around for a long time. Um, it's a different relationship uh, to the culture. So we become learners just as much as uh, as teachers. And it's a powerful thing because it's a way to for for their for an exchange to kind of happen about like for us to be able to say, oh, shoot, we got to be humble about yeah. the kinds of things that they're facing these days. Um, and that's appearing in the music these days. Reason that maybe some of us don't get Drake is because he's emo with it. And like mm -hmm. our generation was not like that. Our that's generation right. was like, it was about the aesthetic of being hard. And maybe we should listen a little bit to, to that kind of thing. Um, you know, those are the kinds of things that come out of like these interchanges, right? That, that sure. you kind of see. And I know you see it because you're in that in this line of work too. You are dealing in the popular culture. On a, on a Hey, if you want more from Rebel Radio and you got something to say, you can join in the conversation with me over on the Stereo app. Stereo is live conversations. You don't have to just listen to me run my mouth. You can join in. I've been having talks with a lot of the guests we've had on this show. Last week, my homegirl, Laura Robbins, the great uh, blogger, podcaster, author. We were talking about politics, some stuff I usually don't ever talk about, but um, she she pulled it out of me. And, uh, and anyway, we, we're getting into a lot of topics about hip hop, about entrepreneurship, culture, uh, content marketing, podcasting, all, all kind of stuff over there. Stereo.com slash Rebel Radio Net is how to follow me. Well, it's interesting. I see, you know, I see a few things, right? I see, you know, I have, I have a couple friends who have teenage sons who they swear are all, they're all about uh, the throwback 90s hip hop. Mm -hmm. and they're like obsessed with research you know with playing mm -hmm. those records and research and all that whatever you know i also have friends who run record labels now and they say the young rappers they're talking to have zero interest in the old school or in or in yeah. or in our era right um and in fact i've even heard you know more um, pointedly that they look down on those rappers because they feel like those rappers failed mm -hmm. because they preached all this, you know, economic self-determination and most of them didn't achieve it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and, and which I think, you know, again, I'm not, I don't take none of that too seriously. I think I didn't like my dad's music yeah. and he didn't like his dad's music. Right. And that's just, that's, that's nature, right? Mm -hmm. There's a youth rebellion that happens you know, inside of everyone, however it plays out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's part of growing up is kind of rejecting, you know, some of your, you know, the norms of the generation before you. And, mm -hmm. and in some cases you come around, you know, mm -hmm. for me, it was actually hip hop that introduced me to the old jazz records and the old, you know, stuff that, uh, you know, I grew up on soul and funk, but, mm -hmm. but there's a whole lot of stuff before that, that I never, paid attention to until I started hearing it in samples. Right. So, um, but, uh, damn, now I lost my point. Um, no, I'm, we're just feeling you, <laughs> you know what I mean? This is our life. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, so, so any, I was going to say like, I don't take the generational stuff too seriously. Cause I think that's part of, you know, that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. I do think that, um, Uh, you said something that was so smart that I was going to try to build on. 
Yeah, maybe well, it'll, maybe it'll come back. Well, one of the things is that <coughs> right now we're talking about the music, and the music had a particular function in past generations. Yeah. For many of us, the music, particular artists were able to crystallize how we were feeling. Mm. When NWA said after police, they were the only voice that had access to the masses that sure. amplified a sentiment. When Chuck D said fight the power, you know, That's he right. he was representing a, a an idea that people were feeling. If most deaf did a politically laced song, you know, our our hearts and you know our minds, our wants, our desires were crystallized in that song. These were the people with the big mics. Mm -hmm. Now you got influencers on social media. They got more followers than some of these hip hop artists. Sure. So they don't necessarily need uh, folks to do that. So let me give you an example. I taught a class. Uh, I teach a class, a music class, and we were talking about Beyonce a few years ago. This is when she did the lemonade uh, on thing. And it started off with her doing her Super Bowl uh, performance, and it ended with the Lemonade album for the mm -hmm. semester. So this was the artist that kept on giving. And there in my class were mm -hmm. some hardcore Beyonce fans. I mean, yeah, you gotta hardcore watch out. Beyonce fans. <laughs> but they were also organizers, too. And so these were folks that I didn't go to class today. Why? Because we were shutting down, you know, right. the, you know the campus. So they were there. And I might have had about 14 or 15 of them. And so when Lemonade came out, there were a few things that happened. There was a lot of critique um, from people that were older, you know, slightly older all the way to way older. And they were like, Beyonce is this. They had all this critique of Beyonce. Mm -hmm. And it rained. It, it centered around her not being really political and, you know, and she's a bad influence on young women and blah, blah, blah. So one of the finals was for people to take a look at these critiques and respond to it and, you know, pro or con, and then talk about what they felt Beyonce's strength was and what her weakness was. What we found is that contrary to the critique, these women didn't look to Beyonce for political wisdom. Mm -hmm. They were very clear in paper after paper after paper that Beyonce's politicalness was because of the movements that they were a part of. And they said that, like, you know, yeah, I'm glad she did that, but I'm not looking for Beyonce sure. to necessarily lead the charge. We lead the charge, her jobs to follow us, mm -hmm. right? And what they were looking for with the Beyonce was to provide a soundtrack for, they, they were the soundtrack for what they were doing. They kind of reflected, you know, what they're feeling. The same way Mary J. Blige right. kind of talked to women a generation before. Yeah. And so a lot of these artists in the minds of my students, they're not necessarily looking for them to be on the mic to say, fight the power. Mm -hmm. Now they may look for those artists to be like, Hey, you know, why don't you come down here and help get these people out of jail? Or I need you to serve this function. You know, you can provide space um, or you could do uh, these other things, but I don't right. necessarily need you to go in front of the mic and tell us that it's bad that Mike Brown got shot. In fact, when they did a posse cut, 
you know, when game Diddy and everybody did a posse cut about Mike Brown, people mm-hmm. in Ferguson weren't feeling that. They were kind of like, eh, you know, right. you know, we didn't ask you to do it. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But, but but they needed people like, are you going to be down here dealing with these police? You know, right. are you going to use your influence to change the the narrative that, you know, the power dynamics? And so I think for a lot of people, um, you know, where we get lost is that we're looking for the artist to do something that we expected them to do 20, 15, 20 years ago. Sure. And kids in my class is like, I don't need them to do that. So when they're listening to something, we see a contradiction. It's like, how can you say fight the power and you're listening to, you know, group like SOBGRE where it's kind of, you know, questionable and immaterial because mm-hmm. I want to turn up to them. I'm not looking for them to, <laughs> to be politically correct. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so I think that's something that we have to get used to. And it's something that we have to kind of understand that hip hop is not just limited to the artist, but it's now, Sure. People that are growing up in a particular generation. It's a community of people that may include artists, but there's so much more to, you know, to, I think, the breadth of, of what hip hop is, if that's making sense. You know? I mean, so I think that's really interesting. I was actually reading this afternoon about uh, there's a whole cancel Eminem movement happening at this moment. I don't know. Is movement. it really? I don't know how big that is. Yeah, it has to do with something, uh, a song he made with Rihanna about domestic violence and i from what i read i think his lyrics are being misunderstood but you know it brings up this question you know i've I've always like rappers uh are um have never been politically correct that's been you know speaking truth to power or you know putting uncomfortable topics on the table has i think always been uh, part of the, you know, what, what rappers do. Um, I remember talking to somebody a couple years ago who was like a, uh, a, a trans, um, activist, social justice activist saying, you know, I love Snoop Dogg, but, um, something about you, but, you know, I didn't like when he said, you know, bitches ain't shit, but hoes and tricks. And, you know, and part of the response was like, well, you're not supposed to like it, right? Like he he was not making that music for everybody to feel good about. He was making music to, to you know, for for a certain, to express a certain mindset, right? Mm-hmm. That that you could agree with or disagree with. But um, but I do think it's interesting. And you guys working in the, in the college environment to think about this sort of like cancel culture relative to hip hop and rappers saying, you know, I mean, Eminem would not have a career if he, if he was going to abide by the rules of political correctness. Um, he's not, he hasn't done that from day one. Mm-hmm. Well, we give a lot of emphasis to cancel culture and we forget that cancel culture was around long before any of this. Sure. Right. Um, Eminem avoided cancel culture because the very things that he said that would have shut down a public enemy or other groups, right. He was being uplifted by your, um, you know, by Barbara Streisand, who's like, I love his angst and his, (laughs) his tortured soul. And, you know, and, and John, you know, Elton John was like, let me take him under the wings and, you know, let's see, let's celebrate his creativity. And meanwhile, brand newbie and, you know, we're having Mm -hmm. videos banned because they talked about uncle Sam being a drug dealer. Right. Right. Um, 
you know, Ice Cube and others were, you know, being accused of anti-Semitism. And so there was a a lot of, uh, you know, contradictions as to who got uplifted and who was looked at as somebody who had a tortured soul and was working out their angst and who was like, no, you don't get to see the light of day. But I think it's when certain artists started to challenge the power structure and and in challenging it it could actually influence people on the ground to follow suit that's when you started to see the police go hmm maybe we need to you know regulate this or at least watch Mm -hmm. it and monitor it and then encourage business entities to shut it down and i'm sure jeff can speak on this a little bit more but i think there's a whole line of uh you know there's a there's so many examples that you can look at where there's this over policing of of lyrics and and the activities of artists, in particular black artists, that I, that are that 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 becomes, you know, they're not get they're not getting a pass, and and others are. I think you're 100 percent right, but I also think it's different when I mean the, uh, you know, police and and political structures uh, trying to shut down hip hop are part of what made it stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a bunch of high school, college students throwing a hashtag, like trying, you know, where, what, what's, what we're seeing more of, and I'm, I'm going to say, I'm not well, expert enough to really, let me, let me ask you this, Josh, how, how yeah. do you feel it made it stronger when the police were trying to, Oh, I mean, I think, I mean, first of all, if you look at, um, what's my man's name, Chef Gordon, uh, Supermensch who was the manager for Alice Cooper and and he was like this mega manager. He wrote a book describing his uh, method for creating these global superstars, Teddy Pendergrass, um, he, I forget who other. And like number one was like, do something to piss parents off, right? And your kids, and the kids will love it. And again, mm-hmm. he was of his era, he was tapping into that that rebellious youth movement that wanted... You know, he he wanted his clients in the newspapers on the front page for something bad mm-hmm. because he knew that would make kids flock to it. Right. I think we all know kids who, you know, their parents wouldn't let them listen to hip hop. That made them want it even more. It was banned off the radio that made it that pushed it underground. And actually, I have a theory that I want to uh, share with you, test against you. Um, but, you know, in general, the more things are pushed underground, the, the more we want them in many ways, right? And I think, and so that, you know, I mean, part of, part of you know, part of NWA's rise was based on the fact that they're, they were getting uh, banned. Right, but some people would say that the, the rebelliousness that you're talking about, you know, which, you know, goes from gangster rap into G-rap and all that, some would argue that it came at the expense of this very militant, very Afrocentric, very pro-black, unapologetic um, strand of rap that under the guise of regulating it, um, they wound up being shut down. So no question. with the rise of NWA, poor righteous teachers disappear. With the rise of gangster rap brand newbie, and we can go down the list, um, Paris, all the way down. So there was an explosion, but what became the crossover and what became the thing that people embraced was devoid of the politics that was very intentionally put in the music that, you know, some would say kind of disappeared. Um, now you could f- search for it under no question. Yeah, but, but the crossover was, you know, let's 
have gin and juice sure. and not not fight the power. That's how I see it. No, I don't think you're wrong, and and, and I and I'm not. I don't think it's it's necessarily one or the other. I guess mm-hmm. what I'm wondering, um, is it, you know, is it different? Like you know, today I don't see, uh, I don't see the government, the police you know, uh, the, the existing power structure sort of getting involved in, in hip hop and what gets played on the radio and whatever, like we, we're in a different era of how that culture is being perceived. I think at the same time, um, we're seeing a greater sensitivity among young people to Mm -hmm. speech that is might be perceived as homophobic or that it like that, you know, that crosses certain barriers that, you know, culturally in this moment, we're not okay with, right? Okay. And and I'm I'm not I'm curious, really, just your thoughts on does that you know does that stuff matter? Uh, you know, I think we all know as we're talking about this, the culture and the music is going to keep evolving no matter what. It's always a reflection of the the world that we live in, mm-hmm. right? That's what artists do is they they take in their experiences and their perceptions and they feed it back to us, right? Yeah. I think the, the the points that you guys were making earlier about like what's the role of the artist, um, I, I think it's a real interesting one. I mean, the part of what, what part of one of the themes of the first book was um, that you know people look to rappers to be political leaders, and in absence of of you know authentic leadership. Right in in the late '80s, type of thing, people start looking to Chuck D to kind of tell them how they should, you know, think about certain kinds of issues and stuff. Absolutely. And at some point, they you know the the they are like, we're not the leaders. We're trying to make the leaders. We're trying to create the leaders. Mm-hmm. And so I agree with you, like that the the point of of artists is not necessarily to to be out there. Not not too many people can be a killer Mike. Sure. And have that kind of a, a depth perception or a bun B or that kind right. of thing to be able to to um, or even a Cardi B. Right. Like hoisting up Bernie Sanders and putting her putting Absolutely. putting him on her her platform. So, you know, not too many people can be that. And because not too many people can be that, um, you know, like we should definitely celebrate the folks who, who can be. Um, but I certainly don't want to be taking my cues for politics from somebody like Kanye West, right? And I certainly sure. want to allow Kendrick Lamar to be able to do what he needs to do with his art. Um, you know, so it's, but, and I, and I think too, like Dave's point earlier about Beyonce is that, yeah, like, you know, the, the artists, Beyonce in this particular case, and Solange and a whole bunch of other artists, um, even Megan, right, are following um, their audiences and their audiences are out in the streets, part of the 25 million people out there in the streets for Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we say is that culture always precedes politics, but it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that the artists are always leading the culture. Mm. Right. It means yeah. that it means that the culture has to change in order for the politics to change. And we're in a moment now where the culture has changed uh, and the politics need to follow. Um, and the artists 
are sometimes going to be at the forefront of that, you know, um, like we said, Kendrick, Killer Mike, like, and sometimes they're, they're going to be the heralds of it, like Beyonce, um, or even Megan in this particular moment, or Cardi B, they're going to be, you know, the folks that are putting them on the platforms, but to mistake them for the folks that we need to have them uh, have as leaders, as Congress people, I'm not voting for Kanye in 2024 or anytime, you know right. what I mean? That's right. <laughs> so that's that's kind of, I think, one of the things that that um, it's, it's changed a little bit from the first book to the to right now. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I want to talk about that. But but I also think, you know, it's it is easy to assume that rappers uh you know, who, who coming from this culture would all be sort of politically aligned, mm-hmm. right? Would all be on, on, you know, progressive agendas and kind of, but, you know, Kanye West and, and I wouldn't vote for him either. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's a billionaire. He's a man in his forties. Who's like, it, it is, uh, there's no reason to think that he's still aligned with, you know, where, where he started out, no. He's so you know he's he's in a different socioeconomic space, a different political space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not writing him a pass. I think you know, but I'm just yeah. saying I think sometimes we have misplaced expectations about yeah. that. Well, with Kanye being a billionaire, he's 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 this generation's Oprah. Oprah's a billionaire, right? And you still have homeless people in all these cities. Sure, you still have massive income disparities and so it's great that he's a billionaire dr dre was a billionaire before him you know and Mm -hmm. we can point to a few others Mm -hmm. but that doesn't change the material conditions and economic challenges that people have that's exactly and by highlighting and saying kanye's a billionaire it's almost like to say to everybody well, your problems are solved. Just ask, you know, ask Kanye to pay for it. Why don't you have Kanye? Well, you right. know, why don't you ask Kanye to put money up for the schools? And what it does is deflects that why Kanye's a billionaire, Jeff Bezos a trillionaire, and mm-hmm. Apple's worth a trillion dollars, and a bunch mm-hmm. of corporations are worth crazy, crazy money. You know, Dr. Jared Ball talks about, you know, like the gross national income, I believe it is, that we really need to be focused on. Sure. And so... I'll celebrate, you know, I'm glad you got your money, Kanye. But what would be really rich is if or if our respective communities, all all of us could afford shelter, all of us could afford food, and all of us would have access to decent um, health care and education. That's when we're rich. And it's For not sure. going to come because Kanye wrote a check. It only gives us the illusion that things are changing for the better if he does and we feel good for the moment. Mm-hmm. But there's still a tent right across the street and we're in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. which is home to a couple of companies that have more money than the, you know, the 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 the, the government. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to figure out with the trickle down, you yeah. know, how to, how why doesn't, you know, some of that result in people saying, remember the tech companies used to say we're going to disrupt. Mm-hmm. We're going to disrupt uh particular businesses. Yeah. Well, what you didn't hear them say is we're going to disrupt poverty. Sure. You know, imagine, you know, the Elon Musk of the world, you know, um, instead of, you know, making headlines by selling, you know, or, or putting out a NF, an NTS. What is it, Jeff? NFT. NFT. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Instead of doing Not that. The tokens. Yeah. 
you know, how about he go, you know, we figured out a way how we can permanently house people in ways that are comfortable and we never have to have homelessness again. You know, what's crazy is that used to be a goal for some companies right. when I first moved out to the Bay Area. That used to be a thing like one day we're going to end poverty. Now people don't even make a pretense. They don't even mention it. You know, they're talking about stuff that is so far removed from what's no, home, happening. Homeboy's talking about colonizing Mars, right? Like that's yeah. a, that's a safer political area. Yeah. To throw Man. some bullshit at it. No, I mean, look, you're 100 percent right. Um, I think, you know, uh, you know, if we thought the the billionaire class or the tech, you know. Uh, coming you know the the coming of the tech industry was going to shift those fundamental issues in terms of you know income inequality in terms of poverty and has it had, to, not, it had the potential to do it it had sure. the potential because sure. the the people that entered into tech were also the hip hoppers of of, our, of a particular time that's right these were our peers so we need to look and say how did the, how did this separation happen what happened that you know the folks that got into these spaces suddenly were, you know, disconnected by leaps and bounds to the political uh, leanings of hip hop, you know, meaning like, okay, you have all this technology in front of you and you listen, you know, the Yasin Bays and the Talibs and, you know, and, uh, and the Tyler creators, you know, all that, but how come that didn't translate into let's flip this to the next level. Instead, it became something that's like, so, let us move you out of your neighborhood why <laughs> and do you take think, it over. So why do you think, I have my theories, but why, why do you think that happened? I think that people saw in powerful positions saw the potential for that to happen. And I think there was a divide and conquer that wasn't as you know, immediately obvious to us mm. until it was later down the road. I think it starts off with people coming into the neighborhoods and then folks who had this money, you know, getting very comfortable and acclimated into having a worldview and thinking everybody should be able to pay $5,000 a month rent. What's sure. the big deal? Mm -hmm. And then having um, an unawareness that they were displacing people and then having empathy when this happened. I think, you know, when I remember people that were moving here, they were told not to move to Oakland. You know, it's like, so you're in San Francisco paying $6,000 a month rent? Well, they told me not to come here. Right. And these were people that were into hip hop, you know? I mean, it's like, wow, you came here from another country and they told you. So who told you? The recruiters, <laughs> you know, right. the people that were hiring sure, sure. them. And so I'm gonna give you an example. Twitter came to South the Market. And the first story that was done on Twitter was done by my man, Rome who started a hip hop kind of news network that was called uh, online uh, media, right? Open mm -hmm. line media had a studio right over there on Powell street. He came out there, he filmed, we talked about, they talked about what Twitter said they were going to do. They were going to provide free internet. They were going to provide free schooling. They were going to be a boom to all those businesses. In this case, mostly Asian businesses, you know, in South the market. Mm -hmm. And this was going to be a booming thing. And, after they had been there for a while, that never happened. And so you have sure. these young kids there do a strike. They were walking around with the free internet and, you know, and all this other stuff. So, you know, they started catering, you know. Yeah, even lunches. more. They're, they're, I remember that. They're putting, putting restaurants out of business because all of a right. sudden they're just serving free lunch. So you're right there yeah. in the middle of, 
you know, that uh, visible poverty, right. right? And we can even remove for a moment. Let's just say, you know, you had a problem with black people. You don't have that there. Mm-hmm. You didn't change those conditions right there, south of market. Sure. It's still the same. Sure. And um, and you're, you're, you're a company that's worth a billion now. You know, you never tried to really ingratiate yourself and you never tried to disrupt it at all. And, you know, we, I'm sure we can find a dozen examples. And then when people tried to hold you accountable, you know, folks are like, well, let me just move my, my ship to another city. Of course. Let's go to Austin, Texas or Dallas or, or Alabama somewhere or Miami. Yeah. And so these, I think, uh, came once these things started to become public entities, mm-hmm. when they started to uh, dance with some of the big tycoons, you know, the Iran Conways of the world, mm-hmm. who were like, man, forget these people, man. We, you know, gentrification is good. You know, right. it's kind of the attitude that I perceived them to have in. And you just you had a disconnect. So on that note, right? So I, I think we're we're not gonna look to our tech leaders not for change. I don't think we can look to our, our hip hop leaders for change in that. And again, there's there's your killer mics, there there are those that will step up and do but a lot of them I, are not gonna I looked, do that. I look to Jeff Chang for change. That's gonna be <laughs> That's going to be our change leader right there. So talk about that. Uh, and wait, didn't you run for president at one point? You ran yeah. for office at, at Cal, didn't you? I, I uh, You yeah. did. He yeah. did. Yeah. Is that right? Yes, he did. Nice. Chang for was it was it president? What did you run for? I didn't. I didn't know you had the politics in you, like that. He did. Yeah, I, yeah, I did that a, a long time ago. Uh, nice. Yeah, the 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 Chang we need. Nice. Was it was it was it the Chang we need? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just playing. That's great. So, so, so I guess my question is, um, wh- what are you seeing that gives you hope, especially as it relates to to hip hop and and the role it's playing in our political and social developments? I mean, I just love the vibe of of independence you know this is the kind of thing that we all came up in right we were all coming from a little bit from the left like not wanting really to to kind of we wanted to engage i think with like major labels and with you know whatever what we saw as capitalism and big money and Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff we um we were maybe different from the previous generation in that way we were willing to engage but we always had the idea that we were going to try to maintain our independence, you know, independent point of view, independent type of networks, independent type of business. Um, and I, I think like, you know, over time we've continued to be able to do that. And I think that now you see an entire generation of folks who they don't have any illusions about that. Right. And they're able to, to set up their platforms because of, the different types of ways that media has crumbled actually since since the time that we were we were doing our thing um yeah. and uh the kinds of different you know structures that they they have to be able to to utilize it so i feel like we're actually we're in this moment now where artistically all across the board we're in this renaissance and it's being led by black folks it's there's been a black cultural renaissance in music in art in film 
in um, publishing and everything, right? And I've seen it in the Asian American, the Pacific Islander communities, um, you know, in, in, in Native Hawaiian communities, mm -hmm. like this, this resurgence of pride and, um, and, and this sort of genuine, like, like desire to really change stuff through, through art and politics. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you know, you see it in, in writing, you see it again, you see it in film, you see it in, in art, you see it in design, um, you see it in social media, you see it everywhere. Um, so that gives me a hope every single day, you know, I'm, it's a really good time, you know, pandemic notwithstanding, right? Like economic depression, um, not, notwithstanding, right? It's like a really amazing time to, to be alive and to see, uh, what it is that people are making and creating and building, hmm. um, for me anyway, that's what I'm nice. saying. Yeah. Dave, what, what gives you hope for, uh, for the way things are heading or, or pieces that are heading in the right direction? Uh, what gives me hope is I'm seeing a lot of focus on community, mm. restoring community, building community. Um, we were talking last night and I was, um, you know, shouting out this collective called Grand National out of the Bay Area. You know, and it's everybody from Brookfield Deuce, which is Damian Lillard's older cousin to, you know, uh, Manny Draper to, you know, Kevin Allen and, you know, and Jane Hancock and all these people. And when you talk to them, you know, they're very clear, like we're not in competition with other artists collective. In fact, we sat down with Hyro to learn mm. um, when you started talking to them about you know, what was going on once upon a time, they're very clear. That was 30 years ago when, you know, you're talking about something that was 30 years ago. We're in 2021, <laughs> you know, we're here yeah. and here are the challenges before us. Um, when talking to them, it wasn't just about doing records, but it's about having a whole other type of understanding where, where it's the photography, the quality control, the, uh, you know, the vision for what you're going to do um, after the record. It's not just the record, but it's a whole bunch of other things. And then over and over again, they were talking about how you're engaging your community. Mm. So I want to, you know, so this is a shift in values. And it brings me back to that Latin quarter time mm. when they're in this room and they're saying, you know what? We're not going to wear gold chains. No, nah, we're not. In fact, I'm going to tell you what, I'm a former gang leader, you know, Paradise Gray, and mm -hmm. he's a former folks. We're going to be on your dome. Guess what? You're not going to wear the gold chains, mm. you know, and what we're going to do now is we're going to put a different type of value on what is worth something and what isn't. So the gold chain that comes out of uh, apartheid, that's not worth anything. I don't care how big it is. You're not wearing it in this club. You know, put on these African medallions and that's going to be the value. Now, you know, they attempted to to take it to that next level. And I think, you know, it got undermined eventually, you sure. know, because everybody was like, I like the rebelliousness of this other thing that's coming, you know, that we now call gangsterism and all that. Right. Yeah. The two couldn't exist at the same time, at least as far as the industry was concerned. Mm -hmm. But these folks are like, I'm not trying to get a Grammy. For real, we're not. 
you know, talking to them, they work on themselves. Like, so when they walk in a room, there is no ego. There's how do we build with each other? And I think that is indicative of a lot of people that are now coming to the conclusion that operating in these systems and even having success comes at a very dear price. If it doesn't disconnect you totally from your community, it will disconnect you totally from your sense of, you know, humanity. And you wind up being like the technocrats that we had hope in who suddenly are just as ruthless as the <laughs> businesses that they said they were going to disrupt. They sure. became those types of people. Right. So I think folks are realizing that we're going to have to put value in those who are able to bring a certain type of excellence to the table. But excellence is not just about making money, but excellence is like your ability to connect to something a lot deeper, you know, your soul. It's your 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 excellence is your ability to uplift the community, to recognize that if one didn't make it, we all didn't make it. And I'm seeing people turning to that. And as they turn to that, I'm seeing a power structure that wants to disrupt it. I'm seeing a power structure that wants to distort it. I'm seeing a power structure that wants to seduce people and lure them away from that. And I'm seeing folks that are locked in to something that is much more powerful that folks who are trying to to remove this they're running scared because they know it ain't happening this time mm-hmm. it ain't going to happen this time that they're that people are locked on to something a lot bigger and a lot more meaningful than material things that they don't ultimately control and that can come and go with the wind and i think as people start to hunker down that way that will be the the next iteration of hip hop, something that's a little bit more um, sturdy and a little bit at the same time, a little bit more flexible that it can bob and weave, but not exactly lose its essence. You know, Um, that's what I'm having hope for. And that's what I'm seeing. And I think, you know, next year, this time we'll, we'll, we'll tell the tape, this will be the line in the sand. Mm -hmm. Um, I have faith that, I'm going to end it with this. When Young Jeezy and Gucci Man came on TV and they did verses and they brought Stacey Abrams up there mm-hmm. and they weren't trying to be Stacey Abrams and Stacey Abrams wasn't trying to be them, there was a recognition that we are all in this together. She needed them and they needed her. And uh, had she not shown up on that thing, we wouldn't have had a, a political sea change in the Senate. And we, you know, um, that we did. You know, I think it made all the difference in the world. Hmm. I think that people are understanding that all parts of the community are needed. And we're going to, you know, we're going to activate all those parts and everybody's going to see themselves as a part of a larger community versus saying, damn, I wish I had what Jeff had. And Jeff is looking at me. I wish I had what Dave had. And we're both looking at you cross-eyed going, why can't we have what Josh has? Mm -hmm. And we're going to step back and say, you know, all of us are important. Everything that we have is needed and there's an abundance, not a not a scarcity. So I think we're going to move away from scarcity and understand that we're, we're the change that we've been hoping for, not to be cliched, but this time it's really going to happen. That's a very hopeful message. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> right? I feel hopeful. Yeah. No, that's great. Okay, let me do a quick lightning round. Uh, before I let you guys go, this is so much fun. I feel like I could talk all day oh, about this stuff with you. Um, 
uh, well, actually, before we do that, give me, give me, um, so I know, you know, the new edition is, uh, the young adult edition. Mm -hmm. What's different from the original in case anybody has the original, what are, what are they missing in the new one? <laughs> um, if you don't have the original, you can get both cause they're different versions, right? Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're actually much different from each other. Um, the young adult version, um, is, is, uh, something that, that kind of, uh, takes some of the stuff from the original edition, um, boils it down and, uh, and then adds on, uh, another 20 years of history, literally, mm. right? Like literally another 20 years of history running from like 2000 all the way up to last year, uh, through the pandemic, through the uprisings, um, after the murder of George Floyd mm -hmm. and, and hip hop's role in um, even the elections and stuff. So it's, mm. it's uh there's a lot of stuff going on um, in it. And it's actually a really interesting and neat kind of circle that we're able to draw. Like we talk about um, the decline of the black power movement in the late sixties and we're able to end with black lives matter. Um, it's really, it's for us, it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a powerful way for us to be able to kind of end the book is to, show how you know like tip said you know everything goes in circles mm -hmm. um the we also have um i think a really strong focus on um women it's a correction from the original edition sure. um it's it's a history that in which you know the contribution of women is is there in the entirety of the book it's not just right. that there is a chapter on women but it's it's also there through the entirety of the book sure um, so again from cindy campbell like to cardi b you know what mm -hmm. i mean like it's just it's all there and the other thing that we're able to do uh is to do kind of like what davis talked about which is to recognize the regionality right the real important stories that there's a, a hip-hop story not just from new york or los angeles but from cities all across the country and around the world. So we're able to talk about, you know, the Bay scene, which is so close to our hearts, but we talk about Philadelphia. We talk about right. Atlanta. We talk about Houston. We talk about Seoul, Korea. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about um, Johannesburg, South Africa. You know, we talk about um, Cape Town, South Africa. Um, we talk about Germany. We talk about China. We like, we're able to talk about, the rise of hip hop in all of these different types of places inspired by the black freedom culture. And the last thing to say is that even if you got the original um, version of the book, uh, we did an audio book, Dave and I on this, uh, which is a lot of fun. Um, and it'll, it'll, you know, it's a great way to kind of um, see kind of how we flipped it, right. How we, sure. how we brought that in uh, and updated the story from, from two you know the end the original ended in 2000 and this one takes it all the way up to the to, to right now so um yeah so like we'd like to say it's the there's a hardcover that's going to be out or is out now for young adults and there's an audio book for adults of all ages that's cool <laughs> it's, it's cool and it, you know you mentioned the regionality like i just met a couple of kids they're not kids young young adults um uh from belarus who are like they have this technology they built around their love for hip hop and and we started talking about it and like it was years before they heard a rapper from the US. Mm, that's and they, like like they grew up in hip hop they're hip hop heads but all the what they were exposed to was from Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. And 
and you know to me that's like i'm i'm amazed that i'm still amazed when yeah. i hear those stories right because we have our own sort of parochial view of what it means that, well, but the truth is the whole world has has adapted it you you asking what are these crazy hip-hop moments well i remember being in um what's that city beirut mm -hmm. i was like what's that city in lebanon <laughs> <laughs> So I'm in Beirut and I'm talking to this artist. I'm going to remember his name in a minute. Um, and he's talking about he's going on tour. And, you know, and so well, we, we were talking about actually history and then he talks about his tour. So he's like, yeah, you know, I remember when the North was battling the South and it was just crazy, man, back in the days. And, you know, I'm thinking like, okay, well, I'm in Beirut. So, you know, talking about the east west coast war and he's going <laughs> on and on and i'm listening and it's like yeah it got kind of gnarly but you know we all came out you know ahead and i'm like ahead you know Pac and biggie died you know and mm -hmm. you're having this conversation so you think when Pac died that was good no that was terrible you know that was terrible you know and then i realized like man where are you talking about you know the north and south when they had their beef you remember and then I realized he's talking about France. Oh, wow. Right? He's talking about the North and South and, you know, and his whole frame of reference mm -hmm. had nothing to do with the U.S. And then when he was talking about his tour, you know, he's like, I'm going to go on a 30-city tour or something like that. The U.S. wasn't even he wasn't even sure. thinking about coming to the U.S. It's like, I'm yeah. going to go here in Tunisia. I'm going to go to Morocco. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there, blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. And so what you realize is that there are – hip-hop is all around the world. And it's at a point now it's like, I don't need to come to the U.S. In fact, right. I don't even want to go there, you mm -hmm. know? It's, it's bumping too dangerous. It's feeling. Well, you know, not even too dangerous. It's just that it's yeah. so vibrant. Yeah. It's, vi it's vibrant in so many places. Sure. You know, no, like I can pop on. I could be in Beirut, maybe go to Brazil. Yeah. And and from Brazil, I can go to Chile. And right. from Chile, I can go, you know, down under to Australia, you know, and be in just one part of Australia because that's a whole continent. Mm -hmm. Then I can go to New Zealand and maybe go to Auckland, but not go to Wellington. You know, I mean, you, you got a whole world. And then we can go to different parts of Asia. So you, you got a whole few billion people there from your Singapore's to, you know, your of Japan. Hang out with those backwards folks in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> but in many ways, when you think about the politics that we embrace, the mm. types of things that come up, the fact that we're probably one of the few places in the entire planet where people <laughs> only speak one language. Right. Sure. You know, like everybody speaks three or four languages. Like when I was in Beirut, they had like a translator. So they're speaking Farsi. Everybody's sitting there. Speaking, you know, French, everybody's sitting there. Mm -hmm. Speaking some other language, everybody's sitting there. Speaking English, everybody's sitting there. And I'm the only one that's like, you know, turning the knob <laughs> right, to right, get right. the translation, you know. Sure. Um, when I was in, you know, Nairobi, same thing, you know, people spoke multiple yeah, languages. And for sure. And then you realize, like, man, the U.S. is, you know, we're running around with our chest puffed out and people are like, oh, here come those guys from America. Of course. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, you know, like they're politically, yeah. politically unsophisticated, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and, and they believe in a lot of stuff that everybody's looking at them like, you know, y'all are game. Yeah. So yeah. I think, you know, um, 
I think the you know part of our solutions will be in how you know how things are going globally yeah. and how we connect with the wider world. And so, um, yeah, you know, those are moments that you realize like hip hop. You know, it's 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 a worldwide thing. Absolutely, and, and we're behind the eight ball now. Absolutely, instead of in front of it. So on that note, all right, let me get to this lightning round. Um, right. You guys can jump in whatever uh, whatever order you want. Uh, what's your favorite city to travel to? Oh, good question. That's a tough. I love one. Montreal. Mm. Tough one. That's Montreal. Nice. That's on my list. I've never been. Yeah. I just I just really want to go back to Hong Kong. I felt so at home there. Hong Kong's dope. Yeah, it's really dope. Uh, you're not gonna like this one. Yeah. Okay. Who's your, who's your favorite DJ? Oh, that's oh that's hard, man. Because then you have to start playing favorites and stuff with folk. Um, we're gonna say Rich Medina because he's headlining our uh, Twitch party. Yeah, Rich Medina is the greatest DJ we ever heard. Rich, you know, <laughs> Yeah, we're doing an all-day Twitch party to celebrate our book and Rob Kenner's uh, biography of Nipsey Hussle, oh, The Marathon Don't Stop, The Life and Times of Nipsey Hussle, and the dope, dope, dope rapper Rocky Rivera, uh, who's got a new book out called Snakeskin. It's a, it's a collection of essays. So we're Very spending cool. the whole day rocking out with... Um, with those folks and with a bunch of amazing DJs, uh, of which Rich Medina, our favorite, will be headlining. Nice, so, yeah. Uh, well, great. We'll throw the link in the uh, in the show notes so folks can find that. Um, yeah, the DJ thing is not a fair question, uh, but let me ask you this: <laughs> yeah. since since you're oh, just because nobody wants to pick favorites, and and yeah. there's so many amazing DJs, I have my Davey answer. Is but David D is David D is a great DJ, no doubt. I'll say that that's that's politic to say right now. So, <laughs> DJ oh, wow, politics. So DJ not, Zen is no joke either. Yeah, my my props is due to politics. I, he's not really that good, but shoot, Yo, he's a co-author of the book, so you know. Okay, who's a who's a DJ that you saw live that you were that was better than you were expecting? Oh wow, Theodore for sure. Like Theodore, I knew he was great, yeah. but seeing Theodore do the needle drop. A routine i just i still can't believe it i just i don't i don't know okay to, but yeah theodore for the, sure. theodore is dope um i think in terms of people who just got like a dope skill i, I i'll i'm gonna give uh, i'm gonna give some props to d sharp d sharp mm. is is nice. Okay. nice you know d sharp is nice and i think there's a whole Look west coast yeah. i think there's a whole west coast aesthetic in terms of DJs that sure. I think when we're here, we take it for granted. But when Definitely. I go to other places, you'd be like, you know, this is like, this, there's some dope DJs. Shortcut gets busy, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of women DJs that are just killing the game, you know, from, yeah. you know, like I think um, the dope party rock is somebody who gets a party rock and I give it to Lady Ryan, mm -hmm. you know, we'll rock a party in a minute. Um, yeah, there's a lot of folks, Lady you know. Fingers, umami, you know. Yeah, Umami's good, you know. Uh, oh, Lady Fingers, yeah. whole Peaches crew, yeah. you know. Bella Friasco is dope, you know. Yeah. Julian By, you know. This, this, there's some folks out here, you know, that yeah. that will hurt your feelings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Love, it. love it. Glenn Alley um, is 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 also a favorite DJ too. Nice, right? Glenn is dope. 
Uh, mine was uh, Ali Shahid Muhammad. I knew, uh, I knew, I, I, I like, I knew he was dope, but yeah. I had never seen him live, and he delivered on just a level that I wasn't expecting. Oh man, I'll be sick with it. Yeah. Um, he's all right. He's all right. Other than uh, so, other oh, than your own, right. what's the last great book that you read or listened to? Wow, there's so many. Uh, there's so many. Um, you know, it just uh, on the subject of kind of Atlanta, like I, I really think one of the most important books, if you're trying to get at like Asian Americans and how they're feeling and where folks are at in this particular moment, like Kathy Park Hong's uh, book right now, Minor Feelings, hmm. it's just powerful. It's amazing. Uh, she has a way of kind of, you know, saying how, how we're thinking in this particular moment that that really resonates i think nice um and i think it's more important than ever for folks to be able to kind of uh capture that and she does it so yeah that's great nice yeah dave what you reading yeah it's hard to differentiate because i you know what i'm reading now i'm reading for school yeah and i'm reading for the show Mm-hmm. So it's it's like I haven't really sat down and just read a book outside of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like right now I'm reading Rocky's and Rob's book and Sister Soldier's book. These are three books that I got to mm-hmm. read. Sure. <laughs> um, but they're great. And it's super it's it's fun. All three of those books are amazing. Right. Yeah. I like Rocky's book, you know, um, the, the journey that she's taken on. I'm just barely cracking uh, Rob's book. So okay. I have to take in a little bit more. I don't know. They, you know, there's a book that I just read and it's it's not coming to mind. That's why I was saying like it's hard because I'm like going through books and then sure, it's like, sure. damn. And as soon as we get off well, air. You guys I'm read like, for a living. So it's, yeah. it's yeah, hard, it's I'm true, sure. True. Um, what yeah. movie have you seen the most in your life? Oh, the most. Probably Enter the Dragon. Uh, yeah, that's good. Probably Enter the Dragon, yeah. Nice. That and Fist of Fury, probably those movies, those two movies I've probably seen the most in my life. And did I read that you, you're working on a Bruce, Bruce Lee project? I am. I'm working on a Bruce Lee book right now. Yeah. Nice. So uh, I'm excited about that. I'm really yeah. excited about that. That's so, cool. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. Probably Black probably Black Panther. Mm-hmm. I've seen that the most. Rubble Kings I see the most. Oh, uh, yeah. That's good. I show. I got to show it like three classes every year. I know that movie by heart. <laughs> you know, uh, Rebel Kings is fantastic. You know, Black Panther. We just saw again last week with my my son. Yeah, it was kind of sad. You know, knowing that what's his name is passed. It's sure. like, damn. You look at him and you're like, damn, he's gone. You know. But um, I think that movie. You know, I'm not a big superhero movie, uh, mostly because a lot of those movies just aren't good movies. This mm-hmm. one was well made, well acted. It was mm-hmm. Oakland. It was hip hop. It was everything you know, mm-hmm. had yeah. everything we want. It was yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, who's somebody that you've learned a lot from that you haven't met? Hmm. Living or dead? Like it has to be somebody who's alive. It could be. Um, uh, it could be Mickey Mouse for all I care. <laughs> uh, man, let's go with James Baldwin. Mm. Let's go. Wow. Good one. Um, you know, every every line of James Baldwin is something to savor. Mm. Uh and 
Um, you know, I've, I've, you know, as you, we all teach James Baldwin different parts, I think, of his work. But I just keep on discovering things. I'm just like, well, I just really want to share this, you know. So yeah, nice. Baldwin for sure. Mm -hmm. I think the people that I learned the most from, I met. Okay. But uh, I think you know, obviously Malcolm X, I learned a lot from early on. H. Rap Brown, I've really learned a lot from. I actually read H. Rap Brown's book before I read Malcolm X's book. Mm. You know, um, mm. so those are two people that I admire. Later in life, Ida B. Wells, mm. and uh, what's that guy's name? Yeah, the scholar. Oh yeah, the scholar. Yeah, exactly. Du Bois. <laughs> that guy. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, the scholar. Yeah, yeah reconstruction of the damn good book. You know, Black Reconstruction, <laughs> Black reconstruction America. Yeah, Black nice. Reconstruction America. Couldn't remember him, but you know who he is. The scholar. <laughs> big book. The scholar did that big book. <laughs> okay. Lastly, if we work together, maybe maybe I'm your intern or something like that. Um, <laughs> what uh, What's something I would hear you say over and over? Oh wow. Um, uh, uh, just you know how you doing like i'm one of those how you doing folks like are okay. you good are you okay I, do you have what you need like i'm a very like as a boss i'm definitely somebody who's very very much trying to make sure that that everybody who's working for me or with me is like ha, you know is in is is in a good space yeah that's that servant leadership yeah yeah definitely Love servant that. leadership yeah that's a, yeah. that's a good way to put it yeah Love yeah, How about you, you hear me? Well, yeah. Well, Dave well, seemed like he put a foot in somebody's ass. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not like that at all. Um, man, it might be. Hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> let me, let me, let me finish this up. Yeah, I heard that a lot. I get it. Hold hold up, hold hold I get it. Let me just finish well, this up. Working, working for Dave, my leadership <laughs> or leadership servants. That's hilarious. Yeah. What's, what about you, Josh? What's yours? Um, uh, I need I need like a good phrase. I mean, I ask this question enough, but um, you know, for me, it's more like uh, somebody that works for me once said, as a compliment, when you ask Josh a question, he asks you three questions back. Ah, and so I think what it is is like, I know that you know the answer, and I'm and I'll help you work it out. Mm. Right. And so I, you know, what I, what I said to most everybody that works for me is, uh, you are more capable than you think you are. And my job is to help you realize that. Mm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Really trying to get them to unlock what they got already. Absolutely. I mean, we yeah. all have it in us, right? Mm -hmm. Most of us anyway. Mm -hmm. um, man, this has been so incredible. You guys are amazing. Ah, man. Uh, it's long overdue. I appreciate you both. Hope to see you both in person one of these days. Very soon. Yeah, um, thank you. I want everybody to go out and get the book. Can't stop, won't stop. Get both editions. Get all three. Get the audio. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to the audio this weekend. Ah, uh, nice. Yeah, just yeah. Just to hear it. Yeah. Tell us what you think. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's great. Um, man, this is so much fun. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. Thank you for having us, Josh. Much appreciated. Yeah, that was Jeff Chang and Davey D. 
Can't Stop, Won't Stop is the book. Go get it. Uh, I'd love to hear what you think of it, your favorite part, your the story that impacts you the most. Tell me about it. Leave me a comment on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever you can reach me. It's at Rebel Radio Net. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace. Join us in the Stereo app. It's Stereo.com slash Rebel Radio. We'll be hosting live conversations. You can jump in, ask questions, uh, give your thoughts, et cetera, et cetera. We want to hear from you.